All right. So, what we doing? <laughs> I'm not I asking almost, a question. You almost fell into it. I was waiting. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the good, the bad, and the ugly at the end of the world. Bring it in, you pussy. <laughs> Are you intentionally stalling so that somebody else has to bring the show in? <laughs> you're so you're so on to me. <laughs> Jesus. Alright, what episode is this? Aha, we got a sucker. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, this up. will be one seventeen? Uh one seventeen. We just did one seventeen. Yep. All right, I'll bring it in. Jesus. Back to the bin. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. This is episode 117 and my name is Scott Gardner. With me are two completely useless, lazy bastards who just couldn't be bothered to bring the show in, so I had to do it. <sighs> With me, Mr. Spock. <laughs> Mr. Spock. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Mr. Paul, Paul Spazzaro. Uh, hello. <laughs> Good talk. <laughs> Dr. Bill Robinson. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can see what kind of show this is going to be already. All right, fellas. So, what are we doing this time around? We are covering emails because the email basket is filling up rapidly. And before it just bursts at the seams, we're going to go ahead and uh, and clear that sucker out. And we've got a whole bunch of them for you. So. We have been remiss. But I I'll... wouldn't say we've been remiss. We've just, we've just been letting them pile up a little bit. But yeah, th- some of these do go way back. So I, I apologize. But I'm, I'm going to throw it out there that I've asked for emails in the past, and I continue to ask for emails because I do enjoy hearing what people have to say about the shows. But I am also going to ask people to start giving us some iTunes reviews because I think that makes a big difference on where we are when people do searches on iTunes for podcasts. And it helps us to be found by more people and listened to by more people, which just makes us feel good inside. Absolutely. Absolutely, please. Yeah, it helps us out immensely, especially now that we have switched feeds. Because if I'm not mistaken, when you switch feeds like that, you basically start all over again on iTunes. So, yeah, any any nice things said about us on iTunes will definitely help us grow the listenership and help people find us and all that sort of thing. So, and yes, on the other hand, if you don't like us, why are you listening? <laughs> Piss off. Yeah, don't don't give us bad reviews. Just stop listening. It's fine. Take off, eh? <laughs> All right. So, who wants to go ahead and uh, and reach into the mailbag first? I'll oh, that was a horrible first. way to put that. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll reach in, but it seems a little dark and slimy in there. The first email in our box is on April, from April fourteenth, 
from our friend Jose A. Rivera. What's this? A letter for me. Is that from this year? Yes, it is from <laughs> this year. Who has since stopped listening because we didn't read his... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> he since stopped listening because he got old and went away because it's been so long <laughs> since we did freaking email. Okay. Hey, guys. Yesterday I went to a small comic show and the experience gave me some more to think about. Wait a minute. Am I jumping ahead here? Because this is actually titled Moron Conventions. Did we have a previous <laughs> one from Jose? Like, yeah, yeah. When did we have a convention that he calls us morons? I don't, I don't remember. Oh, I see. Moron <laughs> conventions. Okay. No, this I think, I think this the... may be his follow-up to the New York Comic Con Comics Monthly Monday that we did. Oh, November. Yeah, All right, but I'm just going to keep reading here. I think I'm getting to the point where going to conventions is more about checking out the dollar bins to fill in holes. I need fill in holes I need either for my collection or for whatever comic binding I'm doing at the time. Even then, it's getting less and less lately. Yesterday, I only spent about $11, which for me is pretty good. Maybe it's just that I'm not looking for as much as I used to. Maybe it's because I'm trying to move out and am spending more wisely. Or maybe it's just because I'm at an age where I can't see spending money on comics. I'm only going to read once or twice, and then they'll sit in a box. Don't get me wrong. The deals were there, but I found myself thinking more long-term. Speaking of the dollar bins, I saw something yesterday that really gets under my skin. I'm sure you guys have been here before in your convention comic show experiences. Stackers, allow me to explain. When you're at the 50 cent or dollar bins and you're going through them, you, like everyone else near you, are looking for something specific. If you're lucky, the boxes are alphabetical, and if not, you're just going through boxes looking at what you have. But the person next to you has placed their rather large stack of comics on top of the box while they're checking their multiple-page printed-out lists, blocking the box you need to get to. These people piss me off to no end. Half of them are eBayers, while the other half won't even move when you need to get something but what really bugged me was this one guy blocking the boxes while a kid wanted to look through some look buddy move your stuff so that the kid could take a look at the end of the day he's going to get more enjoyment actually reading the comics than you are just bagging and boarding them so move i hate to I sound thought, like oh, go ahead i thought stackers were those uh, sandwiches at burger king mm. oh wait never mind <laughs> I hate to sound like a Grinch, but I've been finding myself just aggravated and frustrated with the people I see going over these things. It's the people who go on a line with hundreds of comics for one person to sign. It's the person who takes up entire rows of 50 and $1 bins, or the older guys looking for copies of Tarot the Black Rose. Even worse, the lack of $1.50 bins because now they want to sell comics from the 70s to 80s at top dollar. It's getting to the point where if I see a convention or a show that has an early admission ticket, I pay extra just not to have to deal with this. Last year, I got a four-day pass to New York Comic Con, and that Thursday, where it was just for the press VIPs and people who had a four-day pass, that was the best day. It wasn't as crowded, everyone was in high spirits, and most of the monsters I described earlier weren't there. Sorry for the downer email, but I know you guys probably have had similar experiences, and I would like to hear your thoughts. Sincerely, Jose A. Rivera. I probably should have saved this email for our new Get Off Your Lawn cast. <laughs> I could no, make an get entire off my show. I, I could make an entire show out of this email right here because, Jose, I feel you, buddy. I, I've gone through this the same shit. The best advice I could give you, stop being such a nice guy. 
you know, be be fully prepared to get into it with these assholes when they do stuff like call them out about it. It's like I've been saying on the shows, and I think people think that I'm just kidding about it. I'm not kidding about it. The guys that smell are a perfect example. If you stink, I'm going to call your ass out about it. I'm going to be like, dude, you reek. Get the hell away from me. So, yeah, when stuff like that happens from now on, the New Yorker me just comes out. I'm not going to be nice about it anymore. You know, stop being an asshole. There's, you know, a, a million other people at these things. You know, you're no longer alone in mom's basement. You have to actually interact with other people. So be considerate. Wash your stinky ass. Don't stack your comics on boxes other people are going to want to look through. You know, don't be an idiot. So, yeah, call people out, dude. Of course, you have to be prepared, too, that, you know, occasionally somebody might want to scrap with you. But usually, no, you know, we're, we're all typically of the same disposition and body type. So most of us are, you know, want to go out of our way to avoid... <laughs> physical altercations so you know you don't really have a a lot to worry about most of the time when in that circumstance but yeah call them out about it don't just put up with it and get aggravated you've paid you know the same as anybody else has to be there so you know rather than stand there and get frustrated with somebody you know say something to them or just outright just move their shit that's what i usually do because the moment most of the comic people you know comic nerds are so protective of their stuff you know that's my stack that if you just reach for it to move it they're going to move it because they don't want you to touch their stack you know so that's a good way to go too. just make a move like you're gonna go for it and trust me dude uh, nobody wants to touch your stack yep (laughs) so yeah don't don't put up with that bullshit man but no i get you Those, those people piss me off no end too because they're just rude and inconsiderate well i mean a lot of them i think are rude and inconsiderate and then there are a lot of them i think they're just kind of clueless you know they're they're just not used to having to socially interact if they have it stacked like that you reach over to move it yourself you don't say a word you reach over to move it yourself and if scott's right and they reach over and they take it that's fine if they don't you take it and you slide it right back into one of the bins. <laughs> you know what you could also do is just pick out the worst shit there is in the box that you're going through and just keep adding it to their stack. That'll <laughs> aggravate them enough to want to get the hell away from you. So, yeah, there's things you can do to, to run those people off. Absolutely. And, yeah, I, I have made the resolution from now on that I am never, ever again going to tolerate the complete asshole that walks up to a creator with a giant stack of books. Here, can you sign this? Um, I'm, I swear to God, I'm going to call those people out from now on. Because that aggravates that shit right out of me. And I know it aggravates most of the creators too. But most of them are just too damn nice to say anything about it. And I'm like, why? Why wouldn't you? I mean, because it becomes obvious that there's one of two things going on here. They're just a humper that's going to slap the stuff right up on eBay. So then they're just taking advantage of the situation or they're so socially retarded that they just they don't get it. You know that they're abusing the privilege. They're holding up the line and they're just being an asshole. So call those people out. I'm I'm just not going to put up with that nonsense anymore. I think it's it's gotten out of hand i have seen so many people that not only have a giant stack i've seen people just pull up to a creator with a box like a long box and be like you know you mind signing all this stuff and you can see the creators like mortified like oh jesus you know and but some of them do it i think you know, it, i think they should have mm-hmm. the standard rule and i know we've talked about this before but i think there's they 
you know, I, I agree with the creators who say, you know, I'll sign two things after that. Every everything I sign, I want a donation for such and such charity. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's definitely one way around it. And I, I did see a lot more of that the last convention I was at. I did see a lot more creators that were saying, you know, I have a limit. You know, I have, you know, I'll do two or three books or whatever, and then after that, it's you know so much. Or some of them were right out of the gate. Were like, well, you know, I'll, I'll you know five for a dollar or something like that. So. I can't help but wonder if a lot of that is not so much for the money as it is to try to discourage people from doing that exact thing. So I don't know, but I applaud it one way or the other. Speaking of signings, I got one coming up Saturday, August 17th at Yancey street comics. Jim Chung is going to be there to sign infinity number one. And, uh, let's see Wednesday, September 11th. Uh, I've got at Yancey street comics again, Greg Land will be there for signing of Mighty Avengers number one. Hmm. Maybe I can go over there and get uh, get something signed. Maybe I can buy myself a recorder and get an interview. I don't know. Cool. Do it, man. Do it. Do it. Do it. The Vietnam War, a conflict that changed America. Of those who served, many came back irrevocably changed, while many did not come back at all. This is their story. Marvel Comics presents The Nom. Join me, Tom Panneries, for In Country a podcast that covers Marvel Comics series, The Nom. Each episode, I will recap and review one issue of the series, as well as provide historical context that's important to understanding the events behind the story. Along the way, I will also take a look at the movies, music, and literature surrounding the Vietnam War. New episodes are posted every two weeks at incountry.podomatic.com can find show notes and other media at popcultureaffidavit.com. We ready for the next one? Yeah. I'll take the next one if you want me to. Okay. Next one's actually a follow-up from Jose on, uh, looks like the same subject. He says, some good convention experiences. He says, hey guys, after thinking about it for a while, my last two emails were filled with rather negative opinions of conventions. That's okay. We, you know, we, we, we take negative opinions. Uh, he says, and if I'm going to do a trilogy of convention-themed emails, I should also talk about some of the good things I've been seeing at conventions lately. The one thing I've appreciated about New York Comic Con the past couple of years has been their efforts to cap lines and keep things reasonable. At the DC booth where there's a signing, they have one of their employees stand at the back of the line with a sign saying that line ends here. We are no longer accepting people for this signing. This not only avoids people blocking the aisles, uh, but you don't end up wasting time in a line only to find out the person left a few people ahead of you. The employees are nice, though. Uh, often letting you know if uh, the person has another signing later. Another thing that's great is the limit they're putting on what you can have signed. As I've said, and you guys discussed before, there's no need 
uh, to have a million things for one person to sign. And it really is awful to be the person with one or two items standing behind someone with a short box full of comics. It still happens, but at the bigger shows, uh, they're trying very hard to make sure everyone gets a chance to see the artist or writer and talk to them. One of my favorite things about going to these conventions these days are the really cool custom things I've been seeing as of late. My sisters and I have been buying Lego-related items because, A, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't get really cool sets uh, when we were little because of money, and B, because even cooler sets are coming out and we have some money, and C, because Lego is cool no matter how old you are. This year we've been seeing a lot of custom Lego minifigures made to look like a movie, cartoon, or comic characters. A lot of the DC ones are really well done. Conventions are starting to showcase the more creative side of fandom, and it's always amazing to see how much someone can do with so little resources. And one of the best things about conventions are the cool things for kids to do. For us, these uh, shows are commonplace. We've been to plenty of them, and we know what to expect. But to a kid, places like this must be amazing. I've never got to go uh, to conventions as a kid. We just didn't have the money. Hell, the first one I, I went to was when I was 18, the weekend I graduated high school. And when I first got in, I was amazed. But imagine a little kid seeing all these comic books and toys in one place. I look at kids who go to conventions and I envy them. It's all these cool sites and all these event booths have just been set up for them and all the fun that they'll have. They're not jaded by collectors, uh, con funk, long lines to meet creators, or depressing feeling you get when you walk by Artist Alley or the celebrity section and pass by someone who's just hoping someone stops by their tables. Kids don't have to worry about that stuff. They get to see people in really convincing costumes thinking their favorite hero is standing right in front of them. That's got to be a great feeling. So there's some good things to come out of uh, going to conventions. Do you guys have anything to add? What are your, some of your favorite convention experiences? And again, that's from Jose A. Rivera. I like that one. I think that's a really good email because he, he brings up some really good points. I, I mean, to me, still the favorite thing for me at, at any convention is is just that, you know, getting to meet the creators, you know, the, the people, especially older creators, you know, the guys that had an impact on me, uh, you know, as a kid or coming up reading comics, that sort of thing. You know, the people that actually created characters or storylines or whatever that that I hold near and dear. That still, to me, is a big thrill. Me too. And then, you know, and then the costumes, you know, just being together in in a giant space full of people that are like minded. You know, everybody's there because they all love whatever, you know, Star Wars or comics or whatever the the convention is. I, I just I never get tired of that. I think that's a lot of fun. Well, the biggest convention I've been to was Star Wars Celebration. Not not the one that just passed, obviously, the one that was in Orlando. And mm -hmm. uh, got to take Ben, and he had a blast. So, I mean, Ho Jose's right, you know, to see things through your son's eyes. And I'm sure you've, you guys, I know, Paul, you've you've taken your kids, and, and Scott, you, you've taken the boys. And, you know, that you, you can see it through their face and how much they like what's going on. And, and they aren't jaded by... Um, by what's going on around them and and yeah that definitely that's that's a fun thing and, and now that i got my kids that they look forward to going over and taking pictures with the people in the costumes that that's a great aspect of it and and meeting the creators i would just add to that that when you meet them and you get to talk to them and you walk away thinking that they're you know a good guy that's the best feeling when it's somebody who you you know who you grew up res you know respecting their work and then you meet them and you respect them as a person too. 
that they live up to that respect, and that's a great feeling. Uh, you know, last year at New York Comic Con, I had a, a chance to talk a little bit to uh, Rich Buckler and a little bit to Herb Trimpey, and I walked away from both of them thinking, you know, what a hell of a nice guy that was, and and I love that aspect of it. That's to me the the best feeling. This is the Old Father Odin, and you should be listening to Radio Free Asgard. No, no, that's just not going to work. Let's try this again. This is the evil Loki, and if you hate Thor as much as I do, you should be... All right, let's just try one more thing. Jane Foster here, and you should be... Ah, risen. All right, let's just keep this simple. Hello, everybody. My name is Tom Harris, and I do a podcast called Radio Free Asgard, which airs every Thursday over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. We cover the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more from ancient times all the way up into the present day. We read old comics and make fun of them. I do ridiculous voices and generally make an ass of myself. So if that sounds fun to you, you should come join us, the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin, over at RadioFreeAsgard.com, and we'll see you there. All right, we ready to go to the next letter? Yeah, let me, uh, this is going to be... You get to Mr. read the one from Mr. Jackinetti. Mr. Jackinetti. Jackinetti! Message for you, son! Hey guys, well, I was glad to see Back to the Bins do an Iron Man-centric episode to tie in with the new movie. Is that this uh, year? Uh, yeah. Okay. No, I think this is Iron Man 2. <laughs> okay, at least it was that recent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have to say, though, that I was disappointed that I was not invited to join this discussion, considering Iron Man is my favorite comic book character at all. I kid, I kid, mostly. Still a fun show. Well, we're sorry if uh, we're, we were remiss in, in not uh, getting you on, Luke. So as mostly as uh, how we do things is kind of seat of the pants and not really uh, not really thought out <laughs> sometimes. So we will we will try to keep that in mind in the future. Now, when we plan a show, we need to ask ourselves, uh, WWLT, what would Luke think? Yes. The miniseries Enter the Mandarin, which Paul mentioned, was excellent. It was in the same vein as Avengers Earth Mighty's Heroes 1 and 2, in that retold the events from around the time of the first Mandarin story, but fleshed out the details and the characters. One, entering, one interesting aspect was the addition of Temujin, the son of the Mandarin, into the story. Regarding Dragon Seed by John Byrne, great story. I'm right there with you, Scott. For those of you who have not read it before, it is now available as a trade. So is Iron, Armor Wars 2, the other story Byrne did on his run. The Stark Space Station was a great recurring element anytime Bob and Dave worked on the character. A few years ago, they did the one-shot Iron Man, The End, and that space station figured prominently into the story as Tony's great, lasting contribution to humankind. Definitely one of the elements of the old-school Iron Man, which I sorely miss. The armor Tony wears in the second Bob and Dave era, commonly known as the New Reds and Golds, seems now to always be drawn as, as massive and hulking. Part of this, I think, is to differentiate it from the classic red and golds, but also to continue the more powerful appearance of the armor, which started with the silver centurion suit. Compare the new red and golds to War Machine and Modular Armor. Both seem slimmer and more trim than the new reds and golds, despite their less streamlined look, since both of those tend to have weapons and devices attached to them. Just food for thought, and one of the great fan elements of Iron Man over the ages... 
debating which armor is better. As far as potential cinematic Iron Man baddies, you could very easily use Firebrand, rabble-rousing community organizer takes matters into his own hands to fight the evil one percenter, Tony Stark, as well as Titanium Man, good for the masters of evil, as he is the really big guy, Ghost, uses modern costume, or the Spy Master, again, use a riff on his modern costume. While I, while I personally like both Melter and Unicorn, sadly, neither works for a film. The, con- the controller could work, though. Thanks for the fun show, guys. Luke. Which one's the controller? Uh, that's the guy that looks like... That sometimes gets mistaken for Thanos because he's got the craggly chin, he's got the white eyes, and he's got like a big plate on his head, and he's got the control discs that he flicks on the back of your neck, and you know basically you do what he says. Hence hmm. the name Controller. Yeah, he's on the head. I, I don't think I don't think I know that one. I think if you saw him, you'd you'd remember. Oh yeah, yeah, you'd go. Oh yeah, the controller. <laughs> <laughs> I I disagree with Luke on uh, Titanium Man only because I think after the doing armored people in the first two movies it's kind of the armored iron man uh you know opposite is played now and i don't think you know i i don't think you can make four iron man movies and have three of them be the armored opposite well at the end of iron man 2 wasn't um ivan drago or whatever the hell his name was wasn't ivan he drago? Basically, wasn't you. he basically uh, an amalgam of two characters he was whiplash but he was also somebody else and wasn't that titanium man yeah more yeah, or less okay. you know yeah so so I, I i think it would be like i said i think it's kind of played already uh i think had they just gone with a pure titanium man uh villain that they would have been better off as right. much as I liked Iron Man too, and I really did, but uh, I would have gone with Whiplash as one guy, and then go gone with the armored villain as another guy. Right. You know, I, I would have done the amalgam, but you know, they they never did contact me. How about Particle okay. Man? Particle Man, Particle Man, does whatever a particle can. I'm not. I'm <laughs> unfamiliar with Particle Man. <laughs> never heard they might be giants particle oh, I love I like that song I haven't heard that in a long time okay thank you for the link by the way I do know this guy now that I see a picture of him yeah he's he's like uh, Thanos's uh, skinny white brother yeah <laughs> brother from another mother exactly he's, he's but he is uh, you know an earth guy yeah see you oh, look at the picture and went oh yeah the controller it's uh, Basil Basil Sand Basil <laughs> Basil what Sand- a name like Basil Fawlty BS See I think half of these guys become super villains just because their parents didn't love them enough to give them a decent human being name Basil Who the hell names their kid Basil anyway You know my kid got his uh, ass kicked. Have you met my kid Basil Oh I'm sorry Paul I forgot <laughs> Basil Spataro See He's the initials. one that you keep locked He's up in be- the uh, attic right Yeah pretty much He's going to be a super villain <laughs> <laughs> Basil Spataro. It works. I, I, I think it's got a ring to it. It does. I don't like getting hit in the head. <laughs> it has a ring to it. Dong. All right. Who's got the next one? I guess that's me again. So our next one is from. Where is it? Hold on. It's from K- Chris Keith. And it is dated May 8th. So we're getting more recent now. Greetings, gents. I'm greatly enjoying the show as always. This most recent episode, however, drew me out, and I had to write to discuss. Ah, Daredevil. My, well, hell, probably only my 15th favorite character, but still in the top 20. It's not that I haven't enjoyed the character over the years. It's more that, as either Scott or Paul said, you follow the book because of the writing, 
and if the writing is meh, if the writer is meh, you bail. That's that's been the case with me. Okay, so DD140. I own this one, and I'm pretty sure that I have a, a run going from about 87 to the end of the first book. I think that it ended around 375 or something. But some books stick out more than others. Now, if you ask me if I remember that issue or that particular run, not so much. It's not the writing was bad at the time. It was just generic. Daredevil was there. It's indicative of the era that Bullseye appeared in the 130s and was just ordinary. Nothing cool, nothing awesome, just there. The fact that the Gladiator was in this issue is interesting. Interesting because Miller did a complete 180 degree change with this character when he wrote the book. Gladiator wasn't a bank robber or a petty criminal. He was batshit crazy to the point that he thought he was fighting for the Caesar, for the honor of Rome, and a bunch of crazy stuff like that. His girlfriend ended up being, I think, his psychiatrist. It's funny how I just totally accepted this change in the character when I had read Miller's run. For all of my talk about not liking blatant retcons, I'm just now realizing Miller's entire run was one giant retcon of Daredevil. Say what you will about Jeff Johns or John Byrne pissing on continuity, Frank Miller is the master. He took a third-tier character and completely revised him. All of a sudden, Daredevil is Catholic, has a mom that left her husband and Matt to become a nun. His dad, become, his dad becomes muscle for the mob. Matt had a girlfriend who is an assassin for, for hire and, and a ninja. Matt is all of a sudden a ninja. He was trained by Stick. Kingpin becomes Daredevil's nemesis. And instead of running around with a sci-fi cane, Kingpin acts like a real mobster. If you add the Man Without Fear mini to the mix, you also have Matt killing a hooker and finding out that Jack Murdoch was an enforcer for the mob. Not bad for about three years' work on one character. It's amazing that Stan didn't just kick him in the balls for completely rewriting his character. But then Stan saw all of the money coming in on the book. (laughs) That's true. As for Gladiator killing the entire train, yeah, perhaps the 70s weren't so straight-laced. I guess mass murder in this book, kidnapping and raping Ms. Marvel, and smacking the wasp around in the Avengers was acceptable. Thinking about all of these events, I'm trying to figure out why I was so shocked about DC's identity crisis and Sue Dibney. You guys were right right on about Matt Murdock having no identifiable personality pre-Miller. Sure, Stan created Mike Murdock. Look it up, Matt's twin brother who dressed like all of the cool kids, you know, like Matches Malone. Miller made him nice and angsty for a bit. Then Denny O'Neill bored the hell out of us for about a year. Yeah, look up Micah Sin. The picture of Micah should be a steaming turd wearing a toga, and the character was around for a year. Unfortunately, Miller only returned briefly to wreck Matt's life and then hand him off to a random succession of writers. And then Anne Nocenti. Let me just say that I firmly believe that it is poor form to insult a writer. That being said, Anne Nocenti's writing sucks balls. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, in some way, John Romita Jr. saved the book for me, and I kept reading until he left. The character has made some memorable moments since his first book, and yeah, I really liked Bendis and Brubaker on the second book. After that, the Shadowlands stuff was just stupid. It felt like late 90s Punisher, you know, when he was an angel or whatever. Thanks for the trip down Daredevil memory lane. Oh, and Paul's Creeper book? Yeah, Ditko. Well, I never liked Ditko. I do appreciate Spider-Man. 
even if I thought his and Stan's Peter Parker was a super whiny personality and came across like a Columbine kid. However, my little Ditko tie into Daredevil, I was collecting the Miller stuff back in the 90s and had the entire run except for 162. Couldn't find that damn thing anywhere. So I'm in Wichita Falls, Texas, the hottest place on the planet, and I happen to find a comic book store in the middle of nowhere, which, when you're in Wichita Falls, is the middle of the middle of nowhere. They didn't have Jack in the store except for Daredevil 162 and a Spider-Man issue that I was missing. Score. Then I get home and open up 162. Yeah, it's not Miller. It's Steve Ditko. The Holy Grail <laughs> all of a sudden was Taco Bueno Cup. You know, those cups that leak and fall apart at the bottom if you leave them too long in the cup holder. Disappointing. Alas, when I realize that I'm referencing Taco Bueno, it's time to wrap it up. Thanks for an entertaining episode. As always, Chris Keith. Thank you, Chris, for an entertaining email. That's what I was just going to say as well. Yes, that was a very entertaining email. And like she says, thanks for the trip down Daredevil memory lane. I think he gave us a better trip down memory lane than we gave him. What's funny is I've been in that same exact position where there's some you know issue that you need to complete a run and you just can't find it, just can't find it, just can't find it. And then all of a sudden it shows up in like a 50 cent bin at a convention or something. So you snap it up and you get it home later and it's like, Ah, oh, shit, this person only did the cover on this book. It's a freaking fill-in issue by, you know, somebody that you don't like or whatever. Yeah, I've definitely had that happen before. It sucks. <laughs> I thought that was funny. All right, who's got the next one? I think I'm up on the next one. Oh, my God, this is a monster. Oh, it's another one from Chris Keith. Okay. Holy cow. Okay, so I got the next one here. This one is entitled uh, Back to the Bins number 109. I really wish I could remember what the hell these episodes were about from episode to episode. But anyway, oh, this one is also from Chris Keith. He says, greetings, lads. He says, two straight episodes, two straight episodes that I could uh, barely finish before I had to uh, uh, rush to the computer to comment. Well, at least <laughs> at least he didn't say I could barely finish it and then just leave it there. Okay. He says, okay, I finished listening. <laughs> right before i had to go throw up <laughs> anyway he says uh okay so i finished listening on the way to work and i just don't feel like uh, actually working yet well, that, that's cool i can respect that Been bonus there. points for listening at work by the way it says your iron man episode was excellent as usual and touched on some of my favorite eras of the character okay maybe not the tales issue necessarily sorry uh sorry paul he says uh, Iron Man was introduced to me in the sixth grade before reading class, and I unfortunately decided to pull my friend's copy of 211 or 212 out to reading class and promptly had it taken away by the teacher. See, this is the kind of shit that gives teachers a bad reputation right there. They just they ruin it for everybody else. So sorry, Tom. That must be his friend's name. Tom Panneries. So these issues, Tom Panneries. He said these issues were the calm before the storm of awesome that was around the corner, but I was hooked. Enough preamble on to the show. My thoughts on the books you covered. Tales number 50. Yeah, I have uh, the Marvel Masterworks that covered this book. He says I was expecting um more. Marvel Age, or was it called Marvel Saga, made the Mandarin story sound very, very interesting. Well, yeah, a lot of those synopsis-type books, like um, Ohatmu, tend to do that. They make the stories and the characters sound a little more plausible and not so goofy than they actually are when you read the old stories, I find. So the origin seemed really cool. Then I read 50. Well, you guys touched on the fact that uh, better Mandarin stories do exist. Not to rip Stan, but 
a slide rule? Really? Okay, now I remember this episode. <laughs> so that's for later stories. The burn slash Paul Ryan dragon seed was really cool, even if it was the end of the burn run. I always liked the Denny O'Neill Mandarin story back in the 180s because it was very moody and creepy. I didn't really like Denny's run uh, because I wanted him to hurry up and uh, get on with bringing back Tony, but I could stop, uh, stop down for this arc. Radioactive Man in the Mandarin. I'm in. So Scott's pick of 215. Ah, yes, my favorite era. The second Michelini uh, run. So slightly edging out my uh, second favorite era, Michelini's uh, first run. This is the only problem uh, I've ever had with the beginning of this arc was the fate of that space station. This hulking station looked like such a cool place for a uh, A, staging area, B, Tony to live in, or C, just cool 80s tech. Alas, it looks like that idea was clearly not a direction that uh, Michael, uh, Michael, Michelini... I don't know why I can't pronounce that tonight. Michelini wanted. He says, I still don't understand what kind of super virus blob could resist absolute zero temp. I'm no scientist, but it seems to me freeze the station, scoop out the frozen blob, throw it into the sun, spray some Lysol, problem solved. Which is, I think, what they eventually do, isn't it? I don't remember the Lysol. Or is it not? I can't remember. Something like that. I think they did everything except for the Lysol. (laughs) Except for the Lysol. Space Lysol. Since this story was uh, part one of the end of a much larger AIM arc that started around the time I got into the book. So you get to see Camellia <laughs> Irwin revealed as the traitor. Also revealed the cloaking device in the armor was wrecking Turney, uh, Tony's nerve. Oh, that's right. That's I, I was trying to remember why in the world did he have a cloak with the... Uh, with the silver and gold, or excuse me, the silver and red armor, then his later armors never had it again. And that's right. It was messing up his nerves, his nervous system. And that's right. I forgot. So this is the conclusion from his doctor visit to the start of 215. That's right. Okay, now I remember. So he stopped using it as the Klingons apparently did not. Uh, that may have caught <laughs> what caused the turtle heads. Now, Tony Stark with a turtle head? That actually would have been pretty cool. Just three more points about the book slash run. One, the return of Mrs. Arbogast. She says, Michelini brought back Tony's secretary, the crotchety old woman who, quote-unquote, ran Stark International. Uh, It took a bit for Mrs. A to get to the new company, but when she arrived, California felt like home. Two, Tony builds uh, Stark Enterprises in Silicon Valley, and uh, you figure it took about one year to 18 months to construct. So let's figure that he... uh, had it built in half the time because he's Tony Stark. That means in nine months, he put on 40 pounds of pure muscle. Look at how he's drawn during his run compared to 190 through 200. He looks like Captain America. Are we sure that it's the armor causing the health problems and not the massive amount of steroids he's <laughs> taking? And three, there's just no way in hell that Rhodey lived uh, after 215. They were in the upper atmosphere when the heat shield craps to the point that the smoke is pouring from the armor. So he doesn't uh, completely cook and only his and only has burns on his chest, uh, the one area away from the heat, and doesn't die of smoke inhalation. I know suspension of disbelief, but I'm having to install some support beams to suspend this much disbelief. <laughs> <laughs> Bill's Iron Man 232. My comment on this one. One. Was that perm era, Tony? Uh, yes, it, it most definitely was. Yeah. He says, I think so, but couldn't remember. Bad choice, Mr. Stark. Bad choice. Unfortunately, he had the perm in the uh, in the animated series as well. 
Mm-hmm. It says, listening to the dialogue in this book made me think that uh, it might have worked better as a silent interlude issue, maybe. I agree with Paul. I don't like the dreamscape type issue, but that dialogue, my enemy, my lover. <laughs> says, at <laughs> what point did Jim Rhodes become a composite of Cleveland and Morgan Freeman? <laughs> Sorry to bust on your impression, Bill, <laughs> but I was waiting for you to yell, no, 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 as your bathtub fell from the second no, no, story. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> due to Peter Griffin's shenanigans. Or for you to tell me how Andy Dufresne, uh, Dufresne escaped from Shawshank. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, I love Dufresne. that issue. And the Barry Windsor Smith arc just blew my mind then. It blows my mind now. Great episode as always, and for that I thank you. And yes, I saw Iron Man 3 last week. Thumbs up. And for those that had a problem with the reveal of the Mandarin, it's the Mandarin! Says he wore blue armor in the late 80s and he had green skin in that awful 90s cartoon. It's not like they messed with an A-list character. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Chris Keith. Another awesome email. I like that one. I almost don't know what to add, though. Because he pretty much says it all. He said it yeah. all. I'll have to work on my impressions. Yeah, come on, Cleveland. Now, now, now. <laughs> on to another Giaconetti. Mr. Luke Giaconetti. Fellas, like Scott, I have a fondness for the Beetle. I hope you're talking about the character, not the car. I first (laughs) saw him as a bad guy on Spider-Man and his amazing friends in the flashback episode where the Spider-Friends team up with Tony Stark and get all of their uh, crime-fighting computer gear. He had a great metallic... Man, I'm locking up. <laughs> staccato? Staccato! There you go. You say staccato, I stay staccato. Wait a minute. Voice in the episode. Regarding him being from Liverpool in the Iron Man cartoon, he made an extended cameo and didn't fat speak with a Liverpoolian accent. Poodlian? Anyway. The Beatle was a somewhat common foe of Iron Man during both of uh, Bob Layton and Dave McElhinney's runs, which as an armored bad guy makes sense. The Gladiator also fought Iron Man in the very early days of his solo book, number seven, which has a great cover featuring Gladiator slicing through Iron Man's logo. I think I remember that. I don't think I have it, but I think I've seen that cover. Personally, I've never had much interest in Daredevil either. I can at least understand why he is so popular, more so than a character like Deadpool, whom I guess I just don't get. I I, I think you fall into that camp, don't you, Scott? With Deadpool? Yeah, I, yeah, that's another one of yeah. those characters. I'm Deadpool. Sometimes I like him, but you know, sometimes he breaks the fourth wall too much. So, uh, never read much of the Creeper outside of his stint on the Outsiders. Uh, he did make, he did make a great guest spot in the later days of Batman the Animated Series, where he was pretty damn hilarious. Jack Ryder just recently showed up in an issue of Phantom Stranger, where he got the ultimate scoop on a demon attack by being sacrificed to one. Gee, I wonder where that might lead. Bill beat me to <laughs> Bill beat me to to the same wham joke I was going to make, which makes me sad. More for Bill than myself, <laughs> but still sad. Black Lightning operated in Metropolis, but he fought street level crime that Superman normally did not deal with. Uh, that was the setup of the original Black Lightning series that the uh, that the 100 were able to operate in Suicide Slum because of the stuff they did was relatively low-key relative to Lex Luthor trying to steal the moon or something. 
No excuse for Creeper running around in Gotham City, though. Paul was on the right track. Firefly, Garfield, Linus. See, again, another name that was just asking to be a supervillain. <laughs> is, in fact, the pyromaniac Batman bad guy, but that is his post-crisis version. A big improvement. Thanks for the great show once more, guys. What was the wham joke? I'm trying to remember what the wham joke was <laughs> so long ago. Did these. <laughs> I know. Uh, like, probably had something to do with waking you up before you go-go. Oh, Something yes. like that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But uh, this got me to thinking. I'm glad we had another uh, letter from Luke because I meant to comment about uh, the other thing he was talking about, Iron Man. Um, I think we need to do another Iron Man centric show at some point and, and bring Luke in because he's absolutely right. He's our resident Iron Man expert. And here's my suggestion: I, What's we, that? We do an Iron Man episode when we finally get rolling on the Avengers podcast, and we bring in Luke for that. Ah, there you go. There you go. Okay. That's an excellent idea. I like that idea because yeah. I, I think we did throw his name out there as, "Hey, we should get Luke for this." But then I think what it was is we were under such a time crunch at the time. That the movie, it, it just kind of snuck up on us that the movie was coming out and we were like, oh, we got to just get this done. So it, it just didn't work out to where there was time to bring in, you know, a, a, a special. If I'm, if I'm remembering the, the chain of events correctly, but I do recall that either just prior to recording or just after we did, we were like, oh, damn, we should have got Luke for that. So it was either that or we decided we didn't like him. Oh, that's what, sure which one that's what it was. That's what it was. You're right. I, I, I had forgotten. He, he he there's a he guaranteed just, email right there <laughs> he just writes into hey kids comics too much yeah that's right well speaking of which our next email is from mr andrew leyland of hey kids comics i and am the dated, master i'm the master of the segue it is dated july 11th so we're actually you know we're, we're getting recent now we're in the same month well by the time this posts we won't be ah oh, crap <laughs> but anyway Andy writes, hey yo boyos, excellent episode of Bins concerning the Lone Ranger. I am a mid-level Ranger fan. I liked the old TV show when I watched it as a kid and the 1981 movie, but I've never really been attracted to finding out more about him. Like Zorro and Charlie Chan, I like the character and the concept, but it never made me want to know more. May check out some of Dynamite's stuff, though. Speaking of Dynamite, got to agree with Scott. I think they're his favorite words about the Bionic Man. The first nine issues were damn good. A textbook example of how to update a concept. But since then, it feels like they've rushed through a greatest hits package. In less than two years, we've had Bigfoot, the Bionic Woman, the Fembots, and Death Probe. All we need now is the $7 million man and the robot maker, and we've had every memorable event from the the 70s show. Well, except for Steve Austin's ill-advised porn stash from season four. (laughs) What was Lee Majors thinking? Add to that, the art has gone really variable, and it's a title that has really gone off the ball. Shame, really. Also, Doug Bill's pick of Tag and Bink the episode before. Tag and Bink was a damned funny parody from back when Star Wars parodies weren't ten a penny. Anyway, keep up the excellent work. And I like the themes, the themes episodes a great deal. Best wishes, Andy Leyland. Did you catch that last part, Paul? 
I like the theme episodes a great deal, he says. Well, that's good, because he's getting a bunch of them. (laughs) (laughs) He also wants a promo. We're working on it. We need need to do that. I told him you can't rush genius, though. (laughs) (laughs) Sure you can. Did you hear I get rushed uh, all the time. I sent him that uh, that speech that I didn't read from from my Ranger book, and he was nice enough to read it. Yes, I heard that. I think we should go back and do a uh, a, a George Lucas li- li- like he said, and we should edit in his speech into that episode because everybody <laughs> wants to hear our Lone Ranger episode that badly that they can listen to it again. <laughs> you know what? If people want to hear Andy's speech, I suggest they, they go listen to-, to Hey Kids Comics. Yes. Yes, and I believe that's the Daredevil Yellow episode. Yes, the, the most recent one. So it's very easily found. So is that all our, our email? Yeah, I think we're. Uh, I don't think we really have any left. Uh, oh, I think we do. <laughs> we have not one, not two, not three, but a plethora of emails from our friend Jason Trenner. But since Jason was kind enough, Jason is probably our most prolific writer. Uh, we're going to do it marathon style because we have so much from Jason. So I'm going to lead us off because the first one is the shortest one. And it's dated April 23rd, 2013. And it's titled Not Spam, Back to the Bins 107. Have you watched anything without spam in it? Well, spam, egg, sausage and spam. It's not got much spam in it. I don't want any spam. Hey guys, I remember that Marvel team-up issue, Spider-Man and Hercules. It is as awesome as the Gen X and Spider-Man team-up Blue, which was a lot. I'm sure it shocks you, but I enjoyed that issue for some reason. I'm kind of weird that way. I've discovered who the mysterious figure is. He's some guy named Authority who appeared in just those Marvel team-up issues and in two of the handbooks. Personally, I like the Namor stories in that series more than than that issue, though. They are by a different writer and have nothing to do with the Authority subplot, or Spider-Man for that matter. On to the DC. Never heard of Superman and Bugs Bunny team up before, but the comic sounded awesome, and I need to read it. Hmm. I have very different memories of the Superman and Bugs Bunny team up (laughs) from from uh, when you covered that. But I'm going to have to go back and take a look at that, Paul, because you made it sound a lot better, more interesting than I remember it to be at the time. But All right, so the next one from Jason is uh, from May 4th. He says, not spam, back to the bins 108. So Bill can keep track of these. Your spam. I love it. This is Ah Daredevil. A character I am more or less meh on. Yeah, me too. Since then again, I'm an Avengers and X-Men kind of guy, and the street-level guys aren't my favorites by a long shot. Beetle did not start out as a Spider-Man villain. He started out fighting the human torch and the thing in strange tales. Interesting fact is that the artist for the original appearance was the same one who drew the Golden Age Human Torch. And that was his only Strange uh, Tales issue. As for me, I know Abe best as a member of the Thunderbolts. I think he's up to Mach 6 or 7 at this point. It actually surprises me that you don't have the Thunderbolts trade paperback that reprint, uh, reprints all the first appearances of the fi- uh, founding lineup, Scott. That's, that's just because I don't, 
I don't get into reprints. I prefer to have the original stuff. I know the one you're talking about. As a matter of fact, I actually might have that paperback, but I also have, I think I have the original issues that are reprinted in there, if I'm not mistaken. So it's an interesting mix of titles and an interesting look uh, into what got them started on their careers in villainy. As for Gladiator and Beetle teaming up, I got nothing. Sounds like an awesome battle uh, in the issue with old Hornhead against two supervillains. On to the Creeper story. First off, I think Jack Ryder just wanted to know who the unknown villain was because Batman's only fought about 10 billion supervillains. It's not easy to keep track of most of the obscure or lesser ones. Watching things burn uh, isn't, that, uh, isn't that what a lot of people in Gotham do anyway? Yeah, it does seem like it. Especially lately, since that become kind of a, a catchphrase from one of those Nolan films. It says, well, today for criminals, uh, all the reports on rare jewels, etc., coming uh, in could be on the undernet. Yes, the criminal internet version of the MSM homepage or the like. Oddly, it has never been used for anything like that, uh, and not sure if the DC knew has it. And Bill's story was interesting. I think that was the first real life with Dr. Bill Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, Dr. Bill, your turn. Ah, and we have Wednesday, May 8th, 2013. Not Spam, 109, Iron Man Fest for Back to the Bin. Why can't you have egg, bacon, spam, and sausage? That's got spam in it! Not as much as spam, egg, sausage, and spam. Hey, guys. Wow, the first appearance of the Mandarin. Oh boy, as the early as the early Iron Man stuff involving the Far East have aged horribly, one can see why Iron Man's origins and much in those earlier works have been reimagined and updated every so often. Ah, the the the, the Stark space station, the Stark space station. Oof. <laughs> if it if it is the same one I remember, that uh, that place always had something weird and wrong in it until it was destroyed in two ninety something issue of Iron Man. That was one awesome issue. I can understand why Scott went with it with an issue he knew and loved. If I was on the show, I'd have picked Iron Man 296. Yeah, I know he keeps suggesting it, and the second part, 297, but I honestly think they are in, they are an awesome story, and probably the best story Omega, Omega Red was ever part of. Those issues along with 293 were my gateway into Iron Man comics. I had known of him from the mid-90s cartoon, in which the second season is utterly awesome, and I've always liked Shellhead. My reading of him has been spotty over the years, but it's that way with, well, every team or character I'm a huge fan of. Hey, I read what I like, and I don't care about having a complete run. I, I read what I like and avoid the crap. Stark Wars. Now, that's an amusing title. And for the love of God, do not sing, guys. <laughs> Certainly not telling me not to sing. I will start a petition to stop you guys from doing that. Yeah, <laughs> you guys, yeah, you and Paul need to stop singing. But me, that's okay. And wow, that was a great dramatic reading of that issue of Iron Man and a great issue, too. So he insults my singing and then pumps me up. Okay. Pump you up. You up. He's got to. He's got to tear you down to build you up. <laughs> be up. That's right. <laughs> the next letter is dated July second, so we're into July again now, guys. We're getting it. A home stretch. 
Not spam, back to the bins. Hey guys, if I get a sound bite, it really should be the transforming sound from the Transformers cartoons. And let me ask you guys, if Jason has a sound bite, should it be this? Or should it be this? Personally, I lean towards the latter. Oh, yeah. Me too. I think it should be You Got Mail. That's what I think it should be. Oh, no. It's the spam song, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) There is no doubt. And I'll and I'll sing it specially for him. <laughs> That's that would really teach him a lesson. <laughs> All right. First up is Star Wars Tag and Bink are dead. This sounds awesome. I need to read it now. Next up, Frankenstein's monster. That was an interesting story, shifting to the modern age for the monster. Sorry this one is short, but keep on hitting the bins and I'll keep showing up to listen. <laughs> Uh, let's see. You, Next you get, you get from... the marathon one here, Scott. <laughs> okay. July 20th, not spam, two true freaks. He says, hey, guys, it was awesome uh, that you reviewed the what-if story where Spider-Man kept his four extra arms. Uh, it is a bit of a rarity that uh, in that only two people die in it, Michael Morbius uh, to sharks and Ant-May to old age. That's really light for a what-if story. That's true. That's a good point that I hadn't thought of. Says uh, the story references the FF suits uh, to simulate their powers, and right now someone in the FF book is using the thing suit minus the head slash helmet. Yeah, one has to wonder uh, what the watcher tends to watch. I think he watches me in the shower, actually. Uh, Maniacs, (laughs) maniacs running the place. Says uh, like that's any different when Scott is there. Um, yeah, it is actually. I, I I try to keep these guys whipped into shape when I'm here. When I'm not here, it's it's the sh- it's just just off the rails, man. It's the shizzle. <laughs> oh, shizzle, my little. Scott Scott is the voice the voice of of reason. Yes. In otherwise crazy world. Yes. As for New Titans number seventy nine, when the hell did we do New Titans seventy nine? You weren't there we weren't for that here. episode because uh, the maniacs uh, were running the place. Uh, 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 that's yeah, that too. You may remember uh, that's my heavily edited episode, by the way. <laughs> this was in an era that things Whoa, were that's going weird. downhill for the. Oh Jesus, stop it! <laughs> this was in an era that things were going downhill for the Teen Titans. Uh, and the era that Mirage committed, well, I'm sure impersonating someone's girlfriend to engage in bedroom activities is a crime. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Actually, that subject came up on a podcast I, I was listening to about uh, Doc Ock taking over Spider-Man's body. And they, mm-hmm. the question was, if Mary Jane slept with him, would that be rape? And uh, apparently someone looked up the law in California... I don't know why California, but whatever. The law in California, and apparently, if you did that, if you basically, obviously, you're not going to switch minds with people in normal life, and there isn't a law in California's books on that particular subject. But, like, let's say you slept with somebody on the false pretenses pretending to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. If it was that person's girlfriend, not rape. Mm-hmm. If, that's per, if it's that person's wife, rape. What? Apparently, you have to be married to the person for it to constitute rape. 
Hmm. Okay. So I guess no coming over to your house, Scott, and saying, hi, honey, it's Scott. <laughs> no, you're much better off going over to Scott's girlfriend than doing that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Gardner doesn't know about that. Wow, uh, that's that's uh, that's one to grow on there. Is it, is it, I mean, I, like I said, I heard this on another podcast. I did not do the uh, the legal research on it, but it, it's just weird enough to be true. Now, what the hell are they using as a precedent for that? Like, I like, guess if I guess the, a twin or something. I guess or? the logic is if you just made it, you know, just anybody, it would be too easy for people to accuse others. Of doing it, I mean, you, you, I mean, I guess the the likelihood is more that somebody's drunk and you're pretending to be somebody else, you know, to fool them. They're they're, they're you know basically three sheets to the wind, but whatever. I'm sorry, well, I didn't mean to bog us down with uh, with this. <laughs> no, that's fine. He says, uh, oddly enough, a Mirage was one of the few Titans not erased in what turned out to be a temporal pissing contest between Extant and the Time Trapper. I gotta stop right there. I read all of (laughs) all of Teen Titans. Who the hell is Mirage? I don't know. I don't Hmm. remember who Mirage is. Wow, I guess it's been a while since that's, that's Teen Titans, not Teen Titans. Different series, I think. Right, yeah, I read that. I liked that book. Who the hell well, was she? obviously not. <laughs> Wait a minute. Was she the kind of Indian-looking one, but she had, like, black eyes? I would yeah, say yes, I, except I don't know. Is that the you one? Know, she had, like, a I, white outfit I, and a ponytail? I, I think you could only see her at a distance. <laughs> <laughs> You're such an ass. All right, anyway. This is in any case. But see, I liked the Teen Titans, or team. I keep saying team. Team Titans. I liked those guys because that was the team they had the uh, the vampire dude on it. He was actually kind of cool. I liked him. But yeah, they did. They all disappeared in a tent. I thought she did too, though. Oh, well, anyway, I'm going to have to go back and read that book one of these days. It says, in any case, no wonder Starfire isn't happy about what happened and uh, seems to think Nightwing should be like Batman and figure things figure out things weren't right while in that position and not be like Green Arrow or Hal Jordan in that position. What position no are we idea. talking about? I don't know. Uh, I, I doggy you, style position, no, I, I'm thinking. Yeah, that's what he's saying, basically. is. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was being me. <laughs> okay, well, then don't do that. <laughs> okay, sorry. And yes, that is Raven. Her brothers won't show up until the 2000s Titans series. She has brothers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what do okay. you think Trigon stopped? I thought one? she came from like the like the like the alternate reality like evil universe version of Lesbian Island where Wonder Woman came from, right? Mm, I don't mm. know. She comes something from, like that. Uh, Azeroth. What are you? Azeroth. Yeah, it was all women there, right? Uh, was yeah, Azeroth all Trigon, women? But Trigon knocked up uh, her mother. Right. And then knocked where the hell does she else? get was... brothers if she comes from a society of women? They're half brothers. Different moms. You sure this isn't something in your head? This, my head hurts right now. All right, so, and hippos are mean and kick the crap out of anything they fight, Bill. Uh, so having that as all mode like a Transformers is a cool thing. What the hell is he talking about? Okay, we ended Jason, the episode I, with, we, with Bill saying if he had changeling's power, he would oh, turn into a big hippo. that's right. That's the episode that the last 45 minutes of it were a hippo sound. I remember this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the only way to get the episode up to 46 minutes. Oh. Jesus. Yeah, I do remember that now. 
I love you, Jason, but man, sometimes with the with the references here, I'm just like, what the hell is this English? I mean, the 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 letters all come together to look like something I should recognize, but I'm just not getting it, you know. All right, and on to Doctor Bill with the next letter. <laughs> oh man, <gasps> come on, move it along, move it along. We got letters to read here. Deep breaths, deep breaths. La la. <laughs> Wednesday, July 24th, 2013. Not spam, but still crazy. Superman Fest, Back to the Bins, episode 110. Hey, guys, sorry this email is so late. Well, sorry for so late in reading it. I just got behind in my listening to podcasts. I'm glad that you did a Superman Fest. On to the issues. Wow, Jimmy Olsen has some weird stuff in his trophy room. Even sources of superpowers he's forgotten about over time. Then again, given all the crap he's been through, he had a he'd have plenty of stuff for a trophy room or stuff to sell online for a boatload of cash. Yeah, maybe if he got with Chris Honeywell. And as Alaska lad, he should be glad he, he's in silver he's he's in the silver age and not the modern age, given that Professor Zoom bleh, Professor Zoom killed the modern day elastic lad because well, because he could, I guess. No reason, uh, no real reason. Zoom has become a crazy as hell fanboy. It was interesting as Mark Wade explored that run, that in in bleh, that in return of Barry, Barry bleh, that in the return of Barry Allen, though it got weirder and weirder after Infinite Crisis when Zoom came back and treated the same, treated the time stream with the same level of respect as Silver Age Lois Lane had for Superman's privacy. Why does Jimmy not use these powers more often? Seriously, he could do some stuff with uh, <laughs> with the, he could do some stuff with that would make Lucy very happy. Uh, okay, we know what you're saying there. Then again, if he did, uh, he'd probably never leave his apartment. <clears throat> uh, oh, okay. Of course, not sure why Jimmy didn't get his ass kicked in the Phantom Zone by Zod and company. Well, I believe that's because uh, I don't think those guys. Uh, um, yeah, they're phantoms. They they yeah, can't they affect have, even. They can't beat each other up in their in their phantom state. Right. They can just emo each other to death. <laughs> <laughs> Given they did that with Guy Gardner, and frankly, Guy can kick a lot more ass than Jimmy ever ever could. Well, the Phantom Zoners do show up. And threatened him, and I'm very sure Monel did save Jimmy's life when he showed up. Frankly, Lois Lane would definitely be watching with glee to see Superman's true identity and not feel any guilt like Jimmy did, proving that Jimmy, at least, has some redeeming qualities. Of course, if Superman threw the Silver Age Lois Lane, Lana Lang, and Steve Trevor into the sun and dated Wonder Woman, he'd likely be a lot happier. <laughs> oh boy, a Lois Lane issue. Bring on the insanity. Oh, the classic cover of the hero with a dead person in in their arms. I can see why they why that gets you to read the book. Ad and Lois in a tattered wedding dress and it and it being their honeymoon and that does sound like like it draw you in. Unlike the pin covers of of today. Marsha Mello pin cover. I guess like like a pin up pin cover. Up. Yeah. Yeah. A pin up cover. Okay, yeah. I gotcha. Marsha Mello, really? Oh boy. A truck heading for a woman with explosives in danger? Maybe it also should have been transporting nuclear-powered supervillains, too, just to add some more seasoning <laughs> to, that, to that danger taco. <laughs> and Superman kills a, 
and Superman kills a truck driver. Surprised that wasn't used as the origin for an evil version of US-1. <laughs> well, Sean Engel like that. Man, that honeymoon sounds like it was uh, like it was off to a terrible start. Then again, they not, not even, might they might have been doing all that to keep from finding out how much damage Superman can do on his honeymoon. Ooh. Okay, especially this virgin that can juggle planets. An exploding charm bracelet. Wow. And then a laser eye. Oi. Oi, oi. Oi, oi, oi. And then turns out Superman married a robot. So probably less annoyed that his honeymoon was uh, filled with activities than I first thought. And if Superman could build robots robots so easily, why doesn't he have a Clark Kent robot that he uses so he could be seen going bowling with, well, himself every Tuesday night to throw off Lois Lane? Did they ever do that? Yeah, I think did at ever... some point I'm sure they did. Oh. <laughs> at, some, at some point, Superman might have wanted to throw Lois into the sun and just have a less of a bitch Lois bot live her life. <laughs> Seriously, man, that was kind of crazy. Heh, Superman at a swingers club. That would be funny. Actually, Batman at a swingers Never mind. I'm sure Batman is really... <laughs> Beppo. Beppo oh, is yeah. a super monkey at a swingers club. There you go. <laughs> I'm sure Batman is really is really pouting uh, that he didn't get a chance to play with the lowest bot. I think we're all a little sad uh, we didn't get to play with the lowest bot. And so on to Superman being attacked by Superboy. Okay, this is weird. Body swapping and time travel? Of course. Why did Pete Ross go for Superman's friends and not his enemies for the trial? With them, it would have taken less to get them to agree Superman is guilty. <laughs> he's, he's got a point. And he's it was cool to have... Point. It was cool to have Crypto show up and save Superman. That was unexpected and interesting. It was an interesting idea that they, that they could have used that storyline to change the Legion in some manner. A, a mischance there, I believe. Didn't they do that in the Legion where they had like them on trial with like the Legion villains all in the jury? In one mm. of the early ones, you know, the real Silver Agey ones in the, like the early 60s or so? I seem oh, to remember shit. that. Yeah, it kind of vaguely tickles the back of my brain. I, I think you're, I think you're possibly right. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure what issue that might be, but I think you're right. I think there was an issue like that. All right, oh, su- and, su- and we're yeah. up to the next email. Surprisingly, our next letter is from Jason Trenner. <laughs> <laughs> it's dated July twenty fourth, two thousand thirteen. So we're getting pretty recent. Actually, wasn't the last one dated July twenty fourth also? <laughs> yes, no, it was. July tw- yes, July twenty fourth, Jason. Buddy, <laughs> we love you, but you got to find something else to do with your time. Uh, it's it's titled "Not Spam." Back to the bins 114 or whatever it is, adding all the stuff before 100. I'm not sure what that means. Here yeah. I am, rocking you like a crazy fanboy. Anyway, Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers. Wow, a Jack Kirby book. It reminded me of the book Kirby's daughter wrote, where it turned out that a group of space heroes it turns out that a group of, group of space heroes that an artist writer had created turned out to be real and visited that man's kid. So I guess kind of autobiographical. Galactic law being broken. Who is this Judge Dredd in space? Nothing like needing a moon-sized can of raid to deal with a planet full of insect aliens, who of course have an alien queen that doesn't look revolting. 
Alva Flight is always interesting to hear about on Back to the Bins. Interesting story that Puck finds himself in a bit of a mystery and a fight with a bad guy. On to DC. We've got Hal Jordan as the Spectre, issue one. I don't think it's actually issue one. I don't recall what issue number it was, but I don't think it was issue one. This one starts off weird and stays there. It seems a take on Hal that got dropped when they washed off the parallax and such stuff to get him back to be a GL. Interesting stuff, guys. Can't wait to hear what comes next. <laughs> hey, I I got an idea. I think I figured out how to read these emails. <laughs> when, we, when we're at the last one. Yeah, well, no, no. I'm going to try this. This is how we should read the Jason Trenner emails from now on. Hey, guys. First off, we got The Thing, Eleven, <laughs> Ben Grimm, Adventures in Battleworld, Space Western with a woman that has a name no one can pronounce, and Grimm has to get back to a stolen gift that ended up lost like a random comic issue in a massive comic book collection. I like Dan Slott's thing as well. Oh, it was a fun... Oh, it was a book. Sorry. Sorry, kids. A pity it ended so soon. Next, what if? What if 15? What if what? What? What if the Fantastic Four <laughs> lost to Tri-Galactus? Ouch. Reed killed in front of everyone. Ow. And the renaming, remaining Fantastic Four members attacked with all the stuff they have in the armory. Oh, boy. They got it. A lot of nasty stuff. Wait. How can the scrolls conquer the Earth if they've got a... Uh... Gotta go back to the other page, kids. Planet Smashing <laughs> Weapon. The FF go out as heroes and stop the scrolls. Very fitting. I'm glad you guys are taking some interesting issues of the second volume of What If. I would have no problem with a two-in-one spotlight episode or if you covered the trial of the Watcher uh, from Captain Marvel on Back to the Bins. For DC, it is Miracle Man 19. Wow. Talk about Mr. a crap. Mr. Miracle. Keep going. <laughs> Mr. Miracle Man. <laughs> hey, hey. Who's talking here? Shut up. Wow. Talk about a, <laughs> talk about a crappy honeymoon. Nothing like supervillains showing up and messing up your shtick. Trying to take you and then leading you into a trap. <laughs> of course. They had to try to put Scott free in a death trap alone and unwatched. And as surprise it gets out. Dumpkiss, finally, onto the indie book by Rob Liefeld. Oh, and Loeb. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is interesting. The superpowers of women being able to stay in tiny costumes isn't unique to those created by Liefeld. Magic's abilities would have teleported and she was in training in magic by a demon in an older alternative version of Storm. Wow, that's one weird comic. And it's just, and it was just missing a fart joke. Bada bing. Yeah, you got a lot of, you got a full taste of Rob Liefeld. Thank you. Good night. I think you found the secret to Jason's emails, my friend. <laughs> that just well, flowed perfectly. <laughs> yes, it, yeah, wow's in there and everything. I I truly do appreciate everybody's emails. I really do. Uh, what I would suggest is the same thing I tell my kids when they get their homework done. Is when they write a paper, I say, read that out loud and tell me how it sounds. Right. And every once in a while, it's, they start to read it and they're like, wow, that sounds really bad. For the most part, everybody's letters make intelligent points, but I think sometimes people rush to write them and then just click send. And I would suggest you read it out loud first because I think sometimes your point gets lost in the grammar. I do the same thing because I... So I, do I. Everybody you know. does it. I'm not trying to insult anybody's writing. I'm just saying I think sometimes they rush. Why, why do you have to blame grammar, man? Doesn't she have enough shit on her plate already? Don't be, grammar. Don't be blaming my grammar. Grandma, make your cookies and shut up. 
Oh, uh, Paul just got quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> well, you're talking about my grandma. <laughs> my grandma? You're talking about my nonna. <laughs> my, my nana. Hey, the nana. Anyway, we, in, in Italy, we don't have nanas. We have nonas. Nonas? Nonas and nonos. And what? Nono would be a grandpa. Hmm. I had a nana and a pop pop. What the hell is wrong with you people? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of DeManzocor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.